folks, bienvenidos, this is Seminary for the Rest of Us, a tiny podcast where everyone is welcome to God Talk. As always, I'm your host, Sabrina Reyes-Peters. Today I am introducing a special episode in a series of special episodes. I've joined up with my brilliant friend and colleague, Lauren R.E. Larkin, host of the Sancta Colloquia podcast, to create Sacred Seminary Symposium where we read theological works by Latina and Latinx folks and discuss what we are learning. We've started with Mujerista Theology, written by Ara Maria Isasi Diaz, who was a Cuban-American theologian and professor at Drew University. In this episode, we introduce Sacred Seminary Symposium, as well as discuss the intro in Mujerista Theology. There's a lot of good stuff in the intro, so I hope you're either familiar with the material already or are reading along with us. Make sure to check out our favorite quotes from the intro located in the show notes and let us know what your thoughts are on the intro as well. Here is the first episode of Sacred Seminary Symposium. Okay, yeah. so, <laughs> hey world, um, <laughs> it's, uh, what do we call it? Sacred Seminary Sacred Symposium. Seminary Symposium. <laughs> I, we're sassy. <laughs> um, that was fun. We were going back and forth, just a little background. We were going back and forth on what to call it, and we have such, we had such good words to work with, and so we threw out some options um, and eventually came up with this conglomerate of a slam, what, a fusion? Is a podcast fusion? Mashup. Podcast yeah, mashup. fusion could work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> mashup. Sacred seminary. Um, <laughs> and also a little bit of shade being thrown at all those other seminaries, not so sacred. <laughs> We're talking about some good stuff here. Um, so anyway, so this is first episode introduction. What do we want to introduce? (laughs) Um, I think maybe we should start. I'm going to go ahead and show the book. My book is huge. Oh, yeah. Here's my book for reference. It's smaller. (laughs) Yeah. I love this because um, I normally don't like books this big, but watch. Look at those margins. If a margin was... That's awesome. If a margin was ever being... Ever screaming, right on me, right on me, right on me, it's this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is so pretty. It's like a proof for a manuscript. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited about this. Um, we put up the pod, we put up the blog post explaining how this came to be. So maybe we can just say a little bit more about it. Sure. Um, I don't remember exactly at what point. I think it was like accumulation of various conversations we had we were like oh so many white men that we're reading (laughs) that we have read yeah what about all this other good stuff yeah that's out there that that we don't know about that's a beautiful beautiful yeah i think it started you and i were talking about political philosophy and I oh, think yeah, I was yeah, at, yeah. We had read some and then I was thinking, oh, because I always have to like update myself on my political philosophy. And right now I'm reading through, um, uh, well, economic uh, Marx's capital. Um, but I suggested just quickly, you know, like, oh, well, what if we read that together? And then it was like, that's, and then we started talking about like, wait, but those are just dead. 
elite men. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot to add that part. (laughs) (laughs) And so then it was like, well, what about something? And then you, it all started because you um, had a brilliant interview with Kat Armas. That was a great talk. Yeah. 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 And then I went and started to listen to um, one episode and I want to listen to more, but I do this thing where I binge, I binge listen. And so um, I have to get to her website to listen. So I haven't listened to more, but I was blown away um, with thought processes that I had never had before. Is that a fair way of saying it? Yeah. So what, what, what was a process that you were experiencing that you hadn't before? Um, the, well, we're cut cat, um, talking about her, um, Abuelita faith. Um, and then the, it, it echoed too with some Magnificast episodes that I had listened to as well. Um, the idea of these, these women doing theology and teaching it and not being given credit for it or being listened to, but being very impactful. Um, and so, and now I'm, I'm trying, it's been a few weeks since I listened to that episode. So now I'm trying to recall specifics, but it was just the overall tenor of, I need to shut up and listen. Well, it made me want to keep listening and um, engage with more in a, in a listening way um, because I realized how much my theology is built on the very patriarchal white culture that we come out, I come out of as a Protestant. Yeah. You don't hear a lot of Protestant theologians currently quoting um, from Mujerista theology. Nope. I mean, we're just, they're, they're, they're just starting to quote from black theology. Yep. Especially so. Dr. Cohn. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. And this is great. What a good move. Right. But yeah, it, that little fracture just sort of, whoa, there's more, there's so many more voices out there and they are silenced and pushed and shoved and boxed up and ignored and called not important enough because they don't fit this mold. Um, in, I don't know, did you listen to the interview I did with Robert Monson? Yes, I did. That was a really good one. Really good one. And some of the links that he hooked me up with before I interviewed him um, was a panel of womanist, um, a, a panel of womenist um, theologians and speakers. And um, one of them, and I'm forgetting, um, her name, because I'm horrible with names, but I believe it was the first woman sitting of the panel, sitting there, and she was talking about um, the table and how people don't even want you. If you don't look like the people at the table, they don't even want you at the table. They have a whole entire system that you're trying to meet and engage with, and they don't even want to hear your voice. Um, And that idea was brought forward in me again when I was listening to Kat, when I was listening to you, when I was reading this text as well. Um, These are voices that we've relegated to the sidelines because um, they have been deemed as not good because they're not cishet white males. Yeah. And that, yeah. 
I was going to say, um, even though I have tried to expand my reading, I would still say that most of my theology is based on what I learned from mostly dead white men. <laughs> yeah. 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 And most of my dissertation is like resuscitating one of them anyway. Um, <laughs> Stay dead. <laughs> well, we don't. We don't want a zombie um, uh, go garden. Zombie go, zombie go garden theology. Oh my word! The image. The image. Yeah. No. 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 No, no, I. I. Yeah, I'm not going to say too much about my own work because. Um, <laughs> I really want to talk about um, what's going on here. Um, we are, we're planning to run these monthly for now? Yes. Okay. And we're going to be alternating who publishes which one. So yes. um, this will be coming through um, Seminary for the Rest of Us. And then next yes. month it'll be coming through Sancta Colloquia. Mm -hmm. um, anything else you want to add introductory wise? Anything fun? Anything self-revealing? You know us fives. We love just having no secrets. <laughs> um, I don't know if there's anything. I feel like I shared. I I I feel like I shared enough in my portion of the blog. I don't for know. anyone, do you want to share anything but, here? But. Yeah, but if you didn't read the blog, um, uh, what I do say there is that not only is this a intellectual stretching, an intellectual journey, but it's also a personal journey for me because um, my father's family is Puerto Rican, um, and I didn't grow up learning about any of of this uh, Mujerista theology or anything outside of the white uh, Protestant world. Um, so not only am I gaining new knowledge, but I am learning about a theology that has come from people who are distantly related to me, maybe. Is that how I can put it? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so cool. <sighs> so I'm excited for that um and excited about our book um as i've shown a number of times um miharista miharista theology i swear my spanish is way better than the way that i cannot i am i i, I am messing up this word every single time i say it um and Adam Maria is Sazi Diaz and um I said that very fast to again hide and cloak <laughs> um, uh, I love correction though um so I'm happy to that to do that and what we're gonna do today is just briefly look at the introduction so this is the introduction squared yeah. episode um introducing our little um little our goal here um, to have a conversation to let you all in on it um, and to um, actually start doing that um, in, this, in this episode with the introduction.
It was a nice, I actually expected it to be longer, um, but I liked that the introduction was on the short side. Yeah. But she packed so much in there. She did. That she did not waste any time. Um, jumps right in. I um, underlined and highlighted a lot. Sometimes when I get into that phase, I wonder if I should just be reading with a Sharpie and just knocking off the stuff that I don't need because I'm highlighting and underlining so much. Mm. Um, what I really loved, one of the first lines that jumped out at me, If you do, do you want to talk about your first line or? Um, I can, yeah, I have some stuff Great. underlined as well. Go for um, it. So first off, I don't know where I got this conception of Mujerista theology. For some reason, I was just thinking it was generic um, theology related to Latin American women uh, in general. I didn't know that it was, as she says here, um, concerning the experience of Latinas in the United States, particularly. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. Did you know what Mujerista theology was before you read this? I didn't know it was a thing. My theological existence is so painfully sheltered and um, narrow. Um, I, <laughs> I wasn't even necessarily allowed to read Boltmann. <laughs> Um, because of um, his, uh, just imagine, okay, his sort of like progressive um, platform in terms of like demythologizing. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I literally just learned in 2020 about Mihirista theology. So we're both the new, this brand is, new. I hadn't even, like, it didn't until you had mentioned who you were, we were in conversation when you talked about who you were interviewing. I didn't, I didn't know it was a thing. Completely sheltered, completely in an echo chamber. That's me. So that was the first thing that kind of struck me was my misconception of Mujerista uh, theology um, and something else and this might be a quote um, that I share with everyone but something else that struck me too was she said uh, one of the goals of Mujerista theology is to challenge theological understandings church teachings religious practices and religious practices that oppress Latino women that are not life-giving and therefore cannot be theologically correct. So therefore, if your theology is not bringing forth a life, then it is incorrect, even if it makes sense logically. Like if, if, if it's producing nothing but dead fruit, then it's wrong. Right. 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 Can you say more about that? Um, so when I think about that, I think about, um, when I think about theology that is not life-giving, I think about theology that, uh, that brings oppression, not only at a collective level, but also at 
an individual level. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's easier to explain for me at the collective level. Uh, so if you're, this is the first example that comes to mind and it is a very common example uh, that people use, um, well, in, in circles that I've seen, but uh, there's a statistic that goes around that says um, uh, LGBTQ uh, youth um, raised in conservative homes are more likely to try to um, commit self-harm or have suicidal ideations and things like that. And that is a very clear example of something that is not life-giving because they are they are in such pain that they are contemplating death. Um, so that's a one collective example that uh, comes to mind. And I'm trying to think of a clear, cogent, individual example. Okay, here's another one that is kind of another hot button, hot button topic, but like the whole topic of women's ordination and women's roles in the church um, for me personally, uh, buying into complementarian theology that said I wasn't allowed to do things didn't, didn't bring me life. Like I, I wasn't living to my full potential when I believed that I was only limited to X amount of things. Um, and that living in a box is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it's emaciating. Yeah. Did you say emaciating? Yeah. That is brilliant word. That is, yeah, it's malformation and, and, and emaciating. It's, that is malnourishing too, right? You do, you become mm -hmm. emaciated. I can't even think, I have never thought about phrasing it that way. I just find that, um, yeah. And I think one of the sadistic things or insidious things is that your compliance to let's using that um using the idea of women's roles as something that we both kind of um can uh speak from experience on you coming into a complementarian relationship with your partner or with um the church or whatever it is is called having fruit mm. <laughs> right? Like yeah. you, we, that it's almost hard to kind of get the language, right? Like you're like, no, 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 no. Don't give me a rotten to the core apple and tell me that this is good when I can see a apple tree over there that is clearly delivering beautiful, um, delicious, healthy, nutritious apples. Yeah. Right. Like, but you were handed this and like, no, 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 this is because the controlling ruling group is the one that says, this is fruit. This is the fruit. And so you produce this and then you, um, are producing fruit. It's one of those, it's, it's just so funny because that imagery of fruit production is so well used in the church that it needs to be defined by the people who are starving. Yeah. 
by the people who are malnourished, right? Like instead mm-hmm. of the people who are fat and happy on the top. Yeah. And the, <laughs> and the fat and happy people are turning them away. Uh, I'm thinking of First uh, Corinthians 11 when um, Paul is writing and saying, you need to learn to share because the rich people are getting it all and there's nothing left after you guys are done. <laughs> there's nothing left when you guys are done. Yes, that's, that's I mean, a that's word. like a, a broad summary. <laughs> that's a word. Um, but yeah, we, um, when we talk about ideas of just, you know, even broadly and abstractly, the ideas of freedom, um, when you sit and listen to all the dialogue going on and the different people talking about freedom, it's interesting way, the way that someone who's in the power group talks about freedom. It's always got a from aspect to it, right? Like I'm I'm, I'm free to do whatever I want. I have free will. I have freedom to do this, freedom to do X. My morality is based off of these things that are, you know, um, part of what I can do. And then the other group underneath that is sort of like, but in order for you to have that freedom, we're not free. Right. Um, because you can't actually totally be free from. Um, and so what's interesting is that, when the, um, I don't want to say lowest common denominator because that makes it sound like kind of like the, the, but when the base, when the bottom of that pyramid is saying that's not freedom, what that little part of the pyramid is experiencing that it can has all the view and it sees all the areas. It's not, that's not freedom. It's when the bottom says we too are free, right? Then that's when we have freedom. Um, when we have, um, I'm tired, I'm, 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 what I love about the introduction is that it sets up, um, a mirror by which we can see that oftentimes in theological realms, um, we hit diversity and then maybe sometimes we bleed into, we let inclusion bleed in, rarely do we hit belonging. Right, uh, because most of the time, um, diversity actually means tokenism. Oh, like here's our token black person. Here's our token brown person. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> our token uh, whoever whoever they might be, a BIPOC person. Right. Um, and because they're merely tokens, they're not allowed to really participate, and therefore really belong. Right. And so we're talking about a God is for, especially specifically, bleh, specifically um, considering our, the Christian context that we are speaking in theologically, um, we proclaim a God that gives a damn about the oppressed and the poor. Jesus came down and then went to the margins, right? Um, it becomes even more crucial for Christians, I believe, to allow the voices on the margin to be defining theology for us. Mm-hmm. Maybe right now, essentially, but I think into perpetuity. I can't say that word either. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> um, 
but that's when something that um, I think I was, I had exposed to me just through the few pages of the introduction was just, my default is to go, well, if, can I find something in Luther that defends that? Or, you know, like I have this mindset that I'm constantly in battle with where um, I want to tear down and destroy, but I do it myself. Um, well, Augustine said, um, and I get those arguments just seem to kind of stop belonging full on um, and minimize inclusion. And at best you get diversity, um, but bringing, linking it back to the discussion about the voices that you brought up. Um, it's when the, we, God, according to our Christian tradition, the one that we know best and are speaking from, Jesus went to the margins it was the people in the margins that knew who Jesus was. It was the woman forgiven of many sins who went yeah. and broke the alabaster jar and spread an, a year's worth of income of oil on Jesus's feet because she knew who he was. And it's, so it's these people, but yet it's this core group that seems to know all the things and has kind of poured out wisdom upon us that we must forever adhere to, which just can't be. Yeah. So what were some things that, what were some other things that stuck out to you in the introduction? Um, you meant, so building off of something that you mentioned in terms of um, the, the audience um, and like location of where um, uh, Isazi Diaz is writing, um, building off of that is this quote, uh, Murista theology is not a disembodied discourse. Um, one that, one, um, but one that arises from situated subjects, Latina, grassroots women, and yes, even me. Um, now that is a mirror quote to the one that you offered. Um, one of the reasons why I liked it is because of the words, not a disembodied discourse. That is, um, embodiedness is very, um, it's, it's sort of my uh, crucial word right now. Um, I am so tired of disembodied white theology, white male cishet theology. That doesn't seem to ever necessarily disembody the cishet white male, but everyone else. Um, and so the voices on the margins, the voices on the fringe, the voices of the oppressed, speak to an embodied theology. Um, and I like the word grassroots, Latina grassroots women. It gives it that earthy embodied feel. Um, and so that is something that um, jumped out to me um, immediately in the, in the first half of the introduction. Because the introduction literally is like seven Eight, and a half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like it's, it's not, it's, it's, she gets straight into right away talking about, um, so that, that quote mirrored for me. Um, uh, and I like that she said, and me. <laughs> this and, is. And me, yeah. yeah. Um, and that I think connects to something else that she says throughout the introduction that she is not she's trying not to speak for all Latinas because mm -hmm. she's only one. So she says she's speaking as a Latina. And I thought that was a really important distinction uh, because 
um, privileged people doing theology tend to think that they are speaking for a broad range of people. <laughs> yeah, and she highlights uh, the the that very point. She highlights her own outsiderness mm-hmm. because of, as she says, economic status and schooling. Yeah. Um, I am a woman, and I have. Um, I'm a, I'm a heterosexual woman. And so I have those experiences, but I'm also from a high economic class and I have a lot of education. So that starts to push me into a certain aspect. Um, and so when she mentioned that, that was, um, I, I appreciated where she situated herself in her narrative and in her dialogue. For sure. Jumping forward in the introduction, um, I really appreciated um, of a, a quote. I won't. I won't read it in full, but it's right near the end. I really appreciated the quote that she offers in her text from Linda Alcoff, a Panamanian American, um, and talking about retreat position. Um, the idea of, she challenges this idea of, I can only speak for myself, um, and this autonomy that it's sort of, the image of autonomy that it provokes. And I relish every opportunity that autonomy gets kind of thrown under a bus <laughs> because it's so um the when i was when i was a high school teacher and i taught theology and religion the way that the students wanted to get me to definitely go down a rabbit hole was to mention free will <laughs> and so i would just okay, let's talk about this concept and let's talk about this idea and let's talk about how elite it is and how privileged it is and how, you know, this idea that you're autonomy. Are you really? Are you, I mean, mm-hmm. do you feel autonomous? Um, and I don't want to read the quote in full because I want to, again, I want to keep it in the text, um, but that she highlights so well using Alcoff's statement that you're in a story, you're born into a relationship. You're not autonomous. You're not without external conditions acting on you. So this idea that you can just speak for yourself is comical. Yeah. So, yeah. So on the one hand, uh, we're trying not to speak for others. In other words, not put words on the mouth. But on the other hand, we have to realize that we're still interconnected. So what I say affects someone else Mm -hmm. um and so we speaking of freedom we want to make sure that uh uh, we are speaking and acting in a way that not only frees ourselves but frees everybody else yes yes and i just as you were talking it popped into my head, um, the tendency to want to group others as them. And when we can pull back and disconnect in an autonomous way and make the other of not a you, but them, those people, um, it creates that 
that that separation um, and causes that division, that chasm to grow deeper and greater, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when we see ourselves and our language as modes of existences that are in relationship to other people and not solely those who are like us or similar to us with similar experiences. Um, But also we are deeply connected to all people groups going out. And so our language and the way that we speak actually should matter and we should slow it down and take time to consider our language and how we use it. And also to um, actually sit and listen to another person's language, specifically as it pertains to um, life and existence and God. Yeah. Um, And that makes me think of something else that, uh, let's see, Asasi Diaz wrote in the introduction that I can't find, but she said that Mujerista theology, uh, that's the way that she is practicing it is uh, a liberative practice. Yes. I think. Yes. Yes. She does not skip a beat. It is in the first paragraph. Um, Muharista theology puts into practice preferential option for the oppressed. It's about, it's about liberation. Like she doesn't miss a beat. Not at all. Yeah. It's, Absolutely. Um, yeah, I really appreciated the, the way that um, she addressed potential um, or the, the um, arousal of potential problems that you might have as the reader. Um, I feel included um, in, I feel like she is talking to me, um, which I enjoy. And I also too feel the sacredness of watching on. Um, yeah that it's, I'm not, I'm not engaging this as a um, critical Lutheran scholar. <laughs> I'm engaging this as a student and a, and a disciple of this theologian um, who presents this theology um, and hoping, what's my hope? I want to I want to quote more women and people of color and um, uh, more people from the LGBTQIA um, plus community with the same assurance that I have historically quoted Luther or Calvin. Um, I confess that I, 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 I'm, I'm working on that and I know that there's an overhaul that I am going through. Um, I find that I default to those big names and I want that to end. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it feels dirty to confess that. Um, but it's true. I go to Bart. I go to Calvin when I sit down and, you know, it, it's been over the past, I would say maybe three years that slowly shifted just just a little bit um but i think it's necessary necessary work yeah students are listening uh prisoners are listening people are listening podcast listeners are listening um it's it's good work is there anything else uh you want to add otherwise it seems this seems like a great great place to leave to leave it to to see yeah great way to leave it 
Yeah. And her That's what I'm just, trying to say. <laughs> um, uh, granted, their chapter end notes, which gave me a grumble, but um, yes. deal with it. Um, <laughs> the notes are uh, chock full of further reading. Um, mm. Ones that I have uh, already gotten my hands on some essays that she has referenced um, to, again, build that vocabulary and that language and that. Um, that uh, broader community of thinkers and theologians. Um, but I do want to stress that if you are going to join us in this, um, the notes are fantastic um, and definitely avenues for future uh, examination um, and engagement and dialogue. Yeah, and maybe we might encounter one of these other resources that we want to um, yes. present as yes. their own episode. Yes, yes. The, she quotes a student uh, in the introduction and uh, of hers, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, no, I, I agree. I think this is a great place to wrap it up. Um, and um, we didn't discuss on how we want to wrap it up, but I always say, glad you're here. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> that, that works for me. <laughs> um, yeah, keep, thank you. Thank you. I'll wrap us up. I'll go ahead and do it. I've been talking okay. nonstop for the past hour, so why not? Um, we are glad you're here. Um, and we are glad that you have stopped by and we do hope that you continue with us. And as we mold and meld in our dialoguing together and about this book, um, I hope you feel the presence of God because reading this book, we certainly do. Amen. All right. Thank you for listening to Seminary for the Rest of Us. Really grateful for your support. If you want to stay updated, go to seminary.show. If you have any questions, any questions at all, particularly related to theological or biblical studies, make sure to send them to seminary.show at gmail.com. And if you're lucky, I will answer them with the help of my guest on the show. There are lots of ways to stay connected, so make sure you check out all of the social media handles in the show notes, as well as a way to support us financially if you feel led. And also make sure to give us a rating if you're on Apple Podcasts. That's a quick, easy, and free way to support this tiny project and boost our visibility. Thanks again and catch you next time.